Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams, coming to you from St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It's Monday, April 3rd. Kai is off this week, and joining me today instead is Marketplace's Matt Levin. Hey, Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Kimberly. Good to be here. Yes, and I am actually at company headquarters, APM HQ in St. Paul, Minnesota, for a couple days. And even from here, I've got some news fixes, and you do too. We've got some smiles, and uh, how was your weekend, Matt? Uh, How was my weekend? I don't know. I can't even remember what I do anymore on the weekends. I'm teaching (laughs) a uh, journalism class at night, um, Mm. and I was grading grading papers a lot this weekend. Was your weekend more exciting? Uh, yeah, I had my cherry blossom party. and then, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was good times. And then my flights to St. Paul got canceled. So then I ended up on this like epic journey today to get from D.C. to New York to Memphis to St. Paul in order to get here in time for the show. It was an adventure. But Which- speaking, huh? I'm g- I'm going to force the answer to this. Which was your favorite airport? I mean, LaGuardia looks much nicer now than it used to, but National Airport is my home airport, so I kind of gotcha. I'm a little partial to it. Um, but the St. Paul Airport is huge, man. It's like really, really big. I don't know. I have to get used to it. See which one I, I like. We'll decide on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds good. I look forward to the reviews. Yes. Um, But I guess uh, the fact that you're teaching a class relates a bit to your news fix there. (laughs) It does. So um, as you know, um, I am somewhat obsessed with uh, ChatGPT and artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence broadly. Mm -hmm. Kimberly, do you think we talk too much about ChatGPT or not enough about ChatGPT at Marketplace? I think probably not enough. I know that we're planning to do a deep dive uh, on it at some point in the coming weeks because I think this is just huge, like, society-changing technology. Like, just talking to my sister, she says it's, like, changed her life. She uses it in her teaching. Yes. She uses it in her teaching. She uses it when she's, like, working on job applications. She's using it, you know, helping her prepare to see – to see some of her clients. She used it last week to set up a meal plan for her family for the week. She asked, she Whoa. told Jack GPT what she had in the fridge and, and in the pantry and said, come up with a meal plan for my family this week that, you know, and, and she's using it all the time. And she says it saved her hours, if not days of time every single week. And she is not a very tech savvy person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad your answer was yes, because in my head, I keep going back and forth of like, am I too obsessed with this or or is this like covering the printing press when it first arrived? Like it's feels I think it like, kind of is. I think it kind of is, too. OK, so let me get to the news fix. Yeah. Um, Italy. This news dropped late last week. Italy has banned chat GPT. Mm. Um, it oh, is uh, to my <laughs> I know. Um, and the reason I, I uh, wanted this as the news fix is, that, news fix is that I think the reason behind it is interesting. So uh, Italy has a data privacy agency, and the data mm-hmm. privacy agency basically said, hey, ChatGPT, we have data privacy concerns here. 
Um, you need to suspend operations for 20 days and figure your data stuff out. And so ChatGPT basically said, okay, um, we do that and we welcome regulation, which is a mantra you actually hear quite often in the AI community. Um, but the privacy portion of this was especially interesting to me um, because I keep thinking about a story I did about how ChatGPT could revolutionize search. And one of the maxims, I think, in maybe old Silicon Valley was um, social media is who you pretend to be and search is kind of maybe the dark underbelly of, of who you mm. are or the, you know, I'm butchering that maxim, but you get the point. Yeah. Um, because people share very intimate details with the Google search engine, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of don't think about, oh, I'm – you know, asking something very sensitive here and giving that information to a company, they kind of treat it as a input-output machine. As a commodity. Um, exactly. And it's super interesting. I wonder how people are going to um, react to a chat GPT-like technology. Will they be more forthcoming with their information? Will they actually provide even more sensitive data because it is human-esque? Or will they, because it's human-esque, say, whoa, 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 I'm not going to tell you, you know, that I'm looking for foot fungus creams or whatever. Like, you're going <laughs> to <laughs> you're gonna hold that against me someday, AI. So I, I'm, it, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually been one of the reasons that I've been kind of hesitant to explore the technology more. Interesting. Because I feel like... Anything I ask it is effectively feeding the data set, you know, That's right. and and feeding it information about me. And look, I know there's a ton of information about me on the Internet already. You just feed in those transcripts that make me smart. and You know, all there is to know about me. But I don't know. It feels like you're by using it, you're kind of opting in to letting yourself become a part of the giant brain that is <laughs> chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> yep. How polite are you to the to the chat GPT? Well, that's just it. I'm not really using it. I'm very polite to Siri, but, you know, sometimes gotcha. Siri sounds like me, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's my news fix. What What do you got, Kimberly? I've got two of them, actually. The first one is a story that you, you rightfully spotted I was going to uh, latch on to today, which is that we are coming up on the date when millions and millions, uh, I guess as of Saturday, coming up this Saturday, millions and millions of people who have been on Medicaid uh, during the pandemic might get kicked off because during the pandemic, there was a special rule that said it expanded the number of people who could be on Medicaid, which is the um, health insurance plan for people who are low income or have uh, some other considerations, and then once people were on it, states were not allowed to kick them off during mm -hmm. the pandemic. Well, that expires on Saturday, and there are all sorts of numbers about how many people might end up losing health insurance coverage as a result of this, and it could be up to 15 million people. And wow. uh, the New York Times has a really uh, powerful story, uh, you know, kind of following some of the people who have to 
call those folks to let them know that they're at at risk of losing their coverage. And by the way, the reason that people would be losing their coverage is because they would have to verify that they were still eligible. During the pandemic, you didn't have to verify that you still met the eligibility requirements and the eligibility requirements were expanded. So now people whose situations may have changed uh, will have to prove that they are still eligible. And some of those programs are really, really hard to get into, especially without the extra pandemic expansions of them. Um, I remember when I was in New York a couple of months ago, they were running all of these ads saying, reminding people to check their eligibility status and to go to these websites and things because they didn't want people to get caught out closer to the deadline and not have a plan for coverage. Because, you know, if you're finding out this weekend that, you know, you lose your coverage and then something happens, you know, you're in a real lurch. So, yeah, yeah. it's. It's interesting. I feel like all of these expanded safety net programs that, Mm -hmm. like, when you look at, at, like, poverty rates, like, we actually made strides. Like, I'm thinking of the child tax credit, right? Um, Not child hunger, like, in half or something like that. That's right. And uh, SNAP, right, the food stamps Mm -hmm. program, like, they're all kind of now withdrawing. Like, we're, we're, we're peeling off these safety net um, that was expanded during COVID. Which is interesting because you have these sort of lofty goals that people say are important. Like we want to end child hunger, right? What should we yeah. do to end child con- hunger? And we literally just had this case study of something that works to significantly reduce child hunger. And we're not going to keep doing it. Yeah. Which- yeah. It's pretty wild. Okay, my other news fix is because even though I'm in St. Paul today, I am unfortunately a creature of Washington. And it's so hard to look away from all of the Trump stuff. So Trump arrived in New York today. He's likely going to be, um, you know, arraigned tomorrow in New York and get, you know, his mugshot and his fingerprints Mm -hmm. and everything like that. But what I'm more interested in is all of the money. Trump has raised... At least $4 million so far, according to The Hill and several other sources, off of this news of his indictment. And I've gotten – I'm on so many, so many email lists of politicians and fundraising and (laughs) Democratic (laughs) National Committee and the Republican National Committee and Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and all these other things. And everybody, not just Trump, is fundraising off of this. The Democrats are fundraising off of it. The Republicans are fundraising off of it. Individual members of Congress are fundraising off of it. Trump's making money off of this. And there's another story in um, Media uh, Media Matters that Meta is making money off of this. Because now that (laughs) Trump is allowed back on Facebook, they are making money off of the ads that he is running to make money off of the fact that he's been indicted. And that is American politics in a nutshell. I know. It's, it's, it's like satiric in and of itself. It's, it's a lucrative indictment. It's amazing. A lucrative indictment, indeed. I guess it's going to help pay his legal fees. Yeah. All right, definitely time for a smile. Let's do the hard turn. (laughs) (laughs) I heard the story that you picked over the weekend. How fun is this? I love this. I love this story. Um, 
So, uh, yes, this dropped, I believe, on Friday. Um, when you picture a T-Rex, Kimberly, mm-hmm. what, did, mm-hmm. what did you picture before you saw this? I mean, the bearing teeth, the Jurassic Park version of, like, teeny tiny arms, big head, giant mouth, super sharp teeth, bared out, and frightening-ish stuff. That, yes. And that's certainly the uh, depiction in pop culture, thanks to Jurassic Park and pretty much everything else. Turns Don't out, Don't forget though, the land before time. I know. I know. Well, I feel like we might have more land before time s depictions now. <laughs> Um, because, um, paleontologists, at least in one journal article in the journal science, a very well-respected journal, um, they have discovered that dinosaurs like T-Rexes had lips. They had lips, Kimberly. And so when they closed their jaws, it wasn't like a crocodile, which is what, um, paleontologists believe before, um, but it was covered. You didn't see like the gnarly fangs or whatever uh, when a T-Rex, I guess, tried to eat you. So <laughs> uh, anyway, I love this. I love the idea of like T-Rexes having to like get chapstick at some point. Uh, it's great. This this made me smile when I read it. Mm. Well, mine is very on brand for me. It's a space story. NASA has announced the names of the astronauts who are going on the next moon mission, the first crew under Artemis. And, you know, as per the promise, the crew is more diverse. There is a black man in the crew. There's a woman in the crew. And it's just exciting to see us getting that much closer to the moon, uh, the return to the moon. And this one is going to basically test out a lot of the technology that's going to be used for the next uh, round of um, moon adventures. And so this is uh, the first crewed, uh, according to NASA's press release, the first crewed mission on NASA's path to establishing a long-term presence on the moon for science and exploration through Artemis. And it's very exciting. And so there's bios of all the different people on the website. Uh, and I think it's just kind of fun. It's kind of cool. I'm excited. Have you been to the Johnson Space Center? I have not. Oh, go. you gotta go. You, I do you need definitely to go. gotta go. Yeah. I know. I know. There's so many like cool space things I wanna do. Um I I hope that we were able to chat with some of these folks before they, they take off at some point. Hint hint. Oh, nudge, that would nudge, be very Marissa. cool. <laughs> Please. Marissa, get an a- get an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Please and thank you. <laughs> oh man. Um I, yeah, I'm very excited about this. I, I think it's super cool. All right. Yeah. Um, that's it. That is it for today for a Monday. Um, tomorrow it's going to be a little bit of a hard show, but it's an important one. We're going to be reflecting on gun violence in America, and we're going to be talking with the Washington Post, Todd Frankel, about that big AR-15 investigation that we talked about, I guess, a week or so ago that is so powerful. And so we're going to talk to Todd about how the AR-15 sort of came to dominate the American gun market and also how it became this powerful political symbol. And we would love, you know, your questions and things about that. 
That'll be good. Um, until then, keep sending your questions, comments, and suggestions, or you can send questions, comments, suggestions about that subject mm-hmm. to 508-UB-SMART, S-M-A-R-T. You can also email at makemesmart at marketplace.org. <laughs> yes, dot org. <laughs> we are a nonprofit. Yes, we are a nonprofit. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe with help with from Alex Simpson here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Marissa Cabrera is our acting senior producer. The great Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Look at that timing, Matt Levin. Did we nail it? I, I you no nailed idea. it. You nailed oh, it. Great job. Boom. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.